0: From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and
1: Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 153 of the Killing Killing It podcast. Hey, just a reminder, everybody, absolutely everybody listening to this needs to like it and share it and tell all your friends. So we get more and more subscribers because uh, I think we lost half our audience after
2: the uh, the uh, censored material last week.
0: I I went (laughs) off the rails.
2: (laughs) Dave said what Dave said, the inside thing outside. I
0: did. Isn't that (laughs) half the fun? Well, speaking of language, what two languages would you like to be fluent in?
1: So I'll I'll start because the, the first one for me is German because I took uh, whatever, four years of German and I now, I, I think I have three words left and one of them is beer. Uh, and the other language that I'd like to learn is Spanish. I think I have nine Spanish apps that I never open
2: uh, and <laughs> uh, I'm in Mexico this week we see, again, now you're doing it properly. You're using these things for real world applications. Um, So Dave, my first reaction to the question is, well, in addition to English, which I'm still working on. That's a good point. (laughs) uh, I, I took three years of Russian in junior high school, and I can still recite the alphabet and read a modicum of stuff over there, that would be very, very helpful to actually be fluent in that stuff. Uh, I find it to be, it's, it's sort of like German, in, in that it's a very guttural sounding language, but it's also a very poetic language. So it's, a, it's one that really, really sounds good. And for purely functional economic capitalist purposes, I think we should probably all learn to speak Chinese. But uh, uh, that, that one's going to take a while, because it's hard.
0: See, I, my
2: my two is so
0: my first is Spanish, and despite my four years of high school and college, I am completely useless. And I really do wish that I was fluent in it. And I have made a distinct effort of I'm going to try again. <laughs> to see if that I can do that and, and put that in, in a base and, and for exactly that reason Ryan my second one would be I'm assuming this is a like matrix I now know kung fu answer to the town exactly. languages. thus yes. I would want to know Chinese because I feel like that would be an incredibly practical and useful language well I, I
1: really honestly feel bad I've lived in California for more than 30 years. And don't know conversant Spanish, and that's that's just stupid, right? Now I will say Ryan, however, can do uh, quarterly reviews for hackers if he knows Russian.
2: Yes, True. exactly, <laughs> and uh, that, that's the thing. It's becoming more and more tangible in our industry, but <laughs> well, you can do it over Bevoit. The cloud communications
0: offering designed specifically for IT providers. BVOIP offers a complete unified communication suite which can also be tightly integrated via Microsoft Teams. BVOIP delivers the modern workforce cutting-edge features including contact center, integration to your business apps, and real-time visibility into your remote workers. You control the price with a unique hybrid model that avoids the complex dial tone taxation or compliance bullseye. Don't get stuck in a vendor relationship that works against you. Bevoip is channel only and the company that's here to support you. Find out more by visiting Bevoip.com slash MSP radio.
2: Excellent. So our first topic today, we're going to dive into the world of nuclear energy and ironically we're going to go in exactly the opposite direction of what we have known about nuclear energy in the past. It's not nuclear fission where we split the atom. We're talking about fusion where we combine them together. Uh, Recently, if you guys have been paying attention to the news, there's been a lot of talk about the tokamak. And if you don't know what that is, you need to Google that thing and uh, get some education because there is this thing about this reactor that is—it uh, has been in the UK for the last 40 years and been used for the purpose of trying to create and sustain a nuclear fusion reaction for the purpose of generating energy. Now the headlines, we're going to link to a very scientific article in, in a scientific journal uh, that, that explains some of this to you guys. But as you know, I'm a nerd for electrical power and battery capacity. So this is one ever since childhood that has always scratched an itch for me. Uh, I, I'm curious to know what you guys think about the evolution and about the news and the, the capabilities of nuclear fusion and how we might be able to turn this to practical use going forward. I have to say this is one of the
1: few areas where I think I know something but I don't feel competent about any piece of it. Every story that I've ever seen for the last, whatever, 30 years on fusion has been turned out to be, oh wait, no, that's BS. It turned out to be totally fake, right? And and then, you know, we've had forever, forever, nuclear has been the, uh, you know, anti or antithesis of being environmentally friendly. And now suddenly, environmentalists are saying fusion is our future, and you're like, "Wait, no, stop! That can't be!" Like, my my head's going to explode. And then I just have to say, this photograph in the article that that we're linking to is very impressive. I like I don't even know what that thing is. I want one.
2: That's a total one mark.
1: in my
0: house. Uh, well, so, so Carl, it's interesting you bring that up, Carl. Because again, this is an area where where I'm the geek in me like follows, but I don't have deep expertise. And so my observations here is that I think we struggle with the sort of marketing messaging around uh, power, and it gets very much wrapped up in politics uh, and incentives. Because when, when I go look at and try to understand this space, I have exactly the same impression you do. The nuclear bad, not good for environment and apparently that's not entirely true, and I need to learn more, but who's messaging on behalf of this? And how do I learn about this? And when I look at what happens from an investment perspective, you also look and say, well, where are we putting our subsidies? And, are, and that's very different from what we see from a policy perspective necessarily. And that's also very different from the, quote unquote, the marketplace. And it becomes a very difficult to understand space because you look at this and say, well, how do I get started? Where do I learn? What, what do I push for? And so the lesson for me becomes around the, I need to, to, to do more research and we need to be better at messaging these directions. Both environmentalists need to be better in that. Scientists need to think more about that. In terms of the way they deliver the message both from a scientific perspective but also to understand that those messages get amplified and they need to be delivered in a way that others can make sense essentially i look and say like i need bill nye the science guy to weigh in here and give me the perspective <laughs>
2: Well, and, and so the reason that this one hit me so urgently in, in the last couple of weeks is that recently we were having a conversation with a client about marketing messages around the electrical consumption of technology infrastructure, right? We've talked at length on this show about uh, mining for crypto and the, the the Bitcoin universe and how much uh, just raw electrical power is required to fuel that stuff. And, and oh, by the way, everything else that we sell and service and support in the technology world. It's one thing that it can compute really fast and hard. It's another thing that it will melt down the environment based on the amount of electricity generation that's going to be needed to sustain all of these expanding systems that we're doing, right? So on one side, we need more power, and then on this other side, we're reintroduced, and I say re because this is not a new topic, to the idea of nuclear fusion. Now again, the difference here, essentially for those of you that are not familiar with this idea, in nuclear fission, in other words, the great big silos out in the countryside in various areas around our country, but especially in Europe, that nuclear reactor is splitting atoms and producing output of fuel and, and the uh, the waste that comes from that process that is extraordinarily toxic and it comes with the exceptionally high risk of places like Fukushima, right? This one is different. There is the combination where we take all the power in the world, the, the gravitational forces of laser beams, and we crush together two atoms, and the only side effect is heat. Right now, the environmental impact of fusion is not from the waste that it would produce. It is actually from the mining of the fuel that would go into it. But, and this is where it gets really, really interesting, the two essential elements that are needed to cause this reaction to happen, the fuel for nuclear fusion is contained in seawater and it does not harm the plant or animal life to extract it from the seawater. So I look at this and think, my goodness, we might have an answer, but exactly where you went, Dave, we have radical needs that we're expanding, we have a potential solution, and those who do not know are having political arguments that do not relate to the subject, that might literally just sidetrack our ability to fuel the future world,
1: I would say this is a great time to go to YouTube and, if you haven't checked them out, uh, subscribe to Dr. Becky, The Physics Girl, and Smarter Every Day, because they will educate me and maybe you on uh, on what this stuff is all about. Because you know, sometimes it's really interesting. I, I find myself feeling like you know all those ignorant people who are opposed to technology. I know what it feels like to say. This, I don't know anything about this and therefore it scares me, right? So it's just like, you know, some science fiction movie, like, uh, maybe we should just send soldiers
2: out with guns and blow things up. I'm
0: always in favor of that.
2: Well, see, and and again, (laughs) I'll I'll go back to this one, Carl. The reason that I'm always aware of this one, I grew up in Utah as a child, and at the University of Utah back in the late 70s, there was a tremendous push towards the idea of cold fusion to the point that two professors from the university were actually awarded a Nobel Prize in physics for cold fusion. And this was story time when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. And then when I was 14 or 15 years old, it became story time again because it was horseshit. Exactly. That's what I was talking about.
0: (laughs) Well, on to something a little bit more practical for our IT services uh, listeners. So I'm highlighting an article in Channel ED, and it was a little, it was a couple couple of weeks ago for those listening to the podcast. And the headline is, see all, manage all, our MSPs nearing end-to-end visibility. The story actually hit close for me because I actually worked for for level platforms for a period of time so they were profiling Peter Sandiford and his vision of see all, manage all, uh, that was the, the buzz phrase for level platforms through to of course when it got sold in in uh, 2011 and the premise here is is are we moving from see-all, manage-all to this idea of end-to-end visibility. Are we observing all, managing all? And and there's a sub-reference blog post that was particularly interesting to me, which was the concept of monitoring versus observability, where... Monitoring is the ability to know exactly what's going on, see a particular alert, but observability measures how well you can understand the system's internal states from the external outputs. So not necessarily the errors within, but instead understanding based on what's happening going in and out of the system, what is its current state. Uh, This resonated for me because I I think we, myself included sometimes, spend too much time thinking about the idea of monitoring and just understanding what's broken versus the idea of a larger system observability piece. I think that this article may be pushing, saying we're further along than I think we actually are, but I figured this was a good place of, of saying, are we moving towards observability and how close are we to that?
1: One of the interesting things for me is that it, I, I immediately when I read this, I thought about the cannabis industry. In California, you have to track everything from the seed to the, the client, to the end user customer. So every weed, every seed, every plant uh, has to be under observation all the time. So every You think tomatoes at the grocery store are coated? Like, trust me, uh, marijuana plants in California are tracked much more than that with like a QR code on every one of them. And so there are monitoring systems, uh, some of which are named in the article and some of which are not, that allow you to be able to take a snapshot of every photograph of every plant in your, your control. Things like that are like, going to drive our industry forward because, you know, it's the same thing with you can't monitor every traffic light in the world, but what you care about is the ones that have gone out or the ones that are malfunctioning or whatever. And so we're slowly, as we increase the number of Internet of Things devices, going to move into a different vision of what does it mean to monitor? No one is sitting in front of a monitor and even monitoring a thousand desktops today, um, but take that times a million times a billion Internet of Things devices, and it's a it's a completely
2: different view of what our job is going forward. See, and Dave, I'll, to to answer your question specifically, are we getting close to observability? at the end-to-end level? The answer is we have made radical progress and we are further from covering the whole thing than we ever used to be. It's because both ends are moving, right? When we say end-to-end, what we mean is from the data center to the device, to the edge, to the connected world, and not only is there more being inserted into the infrastructure and systems that needs to be divisible and identifiable and then monitorable, but then, as Carl's saying, we're adding the infinite universe of the Internet of Things. I think it was about five years ago that I first made the comment in public that if you are an MSP and there are things that connect into your clients' networks that you are not aware of, then you are not doing your job effectively and in an IoT world that is not just radical expansion of complexity and responsibility but economically that's radical expansion of billability right i can't i can't charge the same for every sensor enabled device that i do for a server or for a network switch obviously but i do need to have discoverability of quite literally everything in the world i think you know again Basic philosophy, I agree with exactly where Peter was going with this conversation around, you need to see all, monitor all, manage all. It's just that that used to be the basic network infrastructure data center into the Wintel stack. And now if that's all you monitor, then you are seeing just the tiniest little slice of reality in your customer's network. It's irresponsible not to know all of these things because, again, not only are they functional, not only are they consuming traffic on your on your network and therefore affecting performance for everything else, but they are a functional entity yeah. unto themselves and they need so, but, performance.
0: But I think I'm going to take the counterpoint a little bit in that, I don't think you can see all mo- monitor all because it is it is too much and it is exploding. Too there are too many devices, too many points uh, within these systems. Whereas if I view it from an observability perspective and understand inputs and outputs to my to systems, that is at least something that I can potentially get my head and arms around to say. Well, I may not be able to monitor all of the pieces, but I can watch the inputs and the outputs and understand that they are the way that I intend them to be, regardless of all of the components within that. I think the it's too much to, quote unquote, manage everything because you cannot do it. It is too much stuff.
1: So I, I agree with you, and Dave, you make me think about, is there a different business model that people haven't actually evolved to yet that you say, look, I've got, I'm gonna, I got i don't even wanna call it monitoring. I'm gonna observe the behavior of all of this stuff. And then when something needs attention, I'm gonna charge for that attention, right? You got a million, whatever it is, street lights, signals, whatever. You got a million of these, okay, but every month so many of them need attention where then we go monitor and then we fix, or then we verify that it's okay, or whatever, but that's very different than what we're well, doing this now.
0: This is exactly the way that I'm thinking about it. Let's, let's stretch your street light discussion. Is, is, is the, rather than say, I'm going to monitor every single light to make sure that they're working. What I'm actually gonna watch is, is are is traffic pattern behaving the way that I want? Is the crime level at the level that makes sense and thus, when those, de- those items, those are two examples, when those deviate from the norm, then I go try and understand why, and I may discover in this case, oh, certain lights are out, and thus why I will now repair those lights in order to fix the system, overall system problem. It is a very different approach to this... I will you know, make sure your systems work. Right, and in, and in that
1: scenario, you might actually monitor 1% of 1% in a given month.
2: Which, and again, Dave, I think that is exactly the right direction. As we've been preaching for a very long time here, uh, stop selling the inputs, start selling the outcomes. You're not here to get paid for pieces and parts, but for the value of the outcome that you enable based on the things that you do. So identify what are the systems and the business outcomes or the social outcomes that we're trying to create and then figure out what they're based on and then figure out how you ensure that those things continue to perform. Uh, I would say, however, uh, you and I, we cannot monitor everything physically, but uh, agents and automation will absolutely scale to this level of quantity and complexity. Uh, we just got to figure out how to charge See, for it. I'm not, I'm, not sh-
0: I'm not sure, Ryan. Like, and, and again, where, where if, I, if I project out, when we have these discussions about the numbers, the expansion of the number of IP addresses, so that it could cover like every atom on the planet, that's at some level you're thinking about, you may systemize that many things. I think it may just be too much to, to approach it. If I think about every RFID device, every like, I, I'm not sure you can achieve the goal.
2: In, in 2002, I would have said the same thing about a thousand desktops, but not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, there is a sense that,
1: you know, now it is the, you know, what's the norm? What what does the pattern look like? And when, when do the zeros and ones change? Sadly, we're out of time for that topic. Our our final topic is a little bit fun because it, it addresses Dave's one and only concern about the metaverse, which is that you can't get a second date if you show up with uh, VR goggles. So... <laughs> Let's you know, to be very
0: clear, clear, I have more than just that one concern, but I know that <laughs> that is a non-starter. non-starter. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no technology can be successful if uh, if you have to wear those things. But that, so there's a new thing we're going to link to. Uh, Motorola has this sort of proof of concept device where uh, it goes around your neck and it, it not just gives you power to your headset. So the headset can now get smaller and look like a pair of glasses, which is a serious bonus but also it does a lot of the processing. And, and that's a really important piece of this technology is that you? it's sort of like putting the processing at the edge. And we've talked about how cars have to have the processing local because you can't wait for a satellite to give you an answer before you decide whether or not to run over somebody. So the the idea of putting the processing power very close to the headset is a great idea. Unfortunately, what they've done is put a little Thing around your neck that looks like a, just an oversized necklace, and uh, I'm not sure that that's any better at getting a second date. I'm just saying.
0: Well, so so let me let me expand a little bit on this because it's interesting. Let, let me observe that this product is targeted at enterprise users, right? So they are solving a slightly different use case. What was intriguing to me is is this idea of like of breaking down my hangup on some of these pieces of technologies. I will continue to maintain that anything that if it makes it makes you look like a tool uh, you are not it is not going to be mass market adoption. But if we're going to move towards any kind of ambient computing approach there are certain challenges of having the computer available to you and some of its components more easily. Power being one of the the big obvious ones right like and, and so I looked at this and said, okay, I'm intrigued by the idea of breaking it more into its component parts and making those more accessible. Do I think this lanyard thing around your neck is gonna get worn all the time? No, but could I envision miniaturization where, battery is in a belt or is in a, you know, is, or is in, is built into your clothing at right. some level.
1: Yeah, I could totally uh, see this thing being built into the, the shoulders of your coat or something.
0: Right. And so, and so then, the, then the element, you know, then it becomes interesting to think about, again, these systems of component pieces working together to give more of that ambient computing why I wanted to highlight this was this idea of like look I think we're going to be breaking apart the systems more over time and we have to be we have to be very careful about getting hung up on, on form factors as the thing. I don't think the Zuckerverse verse is a, is the way this is going to go because I because I don't think the form factors right, but I need to be careful about saying about being completely dismissive of other versions of this that
2: may so, assemble in new ways. see, and and I will say, very many systems that we currently take for granted are in different disintegrated forms than they were originally put out there client server as uh, as the output of the mainframe as a principal architectural example right there once was a unit that did a thing and it had to be the size of a room and then we realized you know if you put the great big heavy pieces in one place but you put the terminals someplace else and put just a little bit of brain power over there you can do phenomenal things while occasionally referring back to the center node of the network. Um, I don't think we have to worry about putting the brains in a belt buckle or the shoulders of my jacket. I think I already carry this thing called a smartphone that has more than enough functional capability to make any pair of glasses radically more capable than it currently is. I don't need to carry the compute power next to my eyeballs many reasons right goofiness as well as the potential brain melting functions um i don't need to do that because i've already got a device with me that brings the resident capability of compute and battery both of those things are are resident in there but it does bring up the ideas of well if this now becomes an acceptable form factor then What in the world would we actually use it for? And is a pair of glasses actually the right vehicle, the right interactive point for us to actually join into this thing called various verses, right? I'm not quite convinced that it is. Dave, you've talked at length about how maybe it's audio, and that's the way that we interact with augmented computing capabilities. I don't know, maybe vision is the thing and vision plus sound together gives us the right answer, but I, it, it certainly will never be a five pound device that covers 80% of my face and expects me to go walk into walls. Well, and-, and
1: you know, the, 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 whatever the verse, um, we are at the point of, if you, if you go back 20 years and say, okay, what do we want in our cell phone? And you take all those devices and you, and you hold them together they fit into a nice one foot by one foot cube, right? And then everything gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? This this is Daniel Burris, right? 100%. Um, so this is just literally the next the next kind of stuff that needs to get in there. I think the interesting part is that it's clear where we are going, and then it's we're kind of at the stage of okay, whose combination of things is going to get us there. Because right now you could say, okay, I need my MiFi device and then I need uh, a portable power pack, right? So I got that, right? And it's going to be powerful enough to power the phone. And then we're going to take a nuck and we're going to put it on there. So now we got the processing power of an actual computer. And then you put your cell phone in there. Oh yeah, you get like a one foot
2: by one foot cube and now it just needs to get smaller. So, you know, rinse, repeat. I mean, isn't it funny that the current version of the Oculus is almost exactly one foot by one foot? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe we've just observed why that thing's not going to be viable. They just put a bigger enclosure around all of the disintegrated functionality. Again, I am convinced that computing will come into the world. I don't think we will go into computing for a large portion of our existence, right? It, augmented, where compute capabilities emerge into real life, as opposed to where real life demerges into a, a virtual environment. If you're if you're talking directionality, I think that augmented and and the 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 glasses thing has phenomenal conceptual capability. It just has to become less stupid looking.
0: Well, people, th- this is where cannot get too hung up on form factor. If we go back in time and we go back to circa 2007, uh, QWERTY keyboards must be on your mobile device or they are not, fun- like they are not functional, right? And, and, and that was a written rule and you could not violate that until it got violated. And so we need to be very careful about the hang up on form factor as this driving principle because it isn't. It is a flexible, changeable thing based on new ideas around and
2: and i did get an email the other day uh for a pair of ray-ban wayfarers that uh that look exactly like that and now they just contain a camera and none of the other compute capabilities but a camera that bluetooth to your phone and you can use it to take pov point uh pictures uh and and it it literally was not expanded or deformed in any physical way it was quite literally their form factor and i looked at that and was like pretty close pretty close
1: Well, you know uh the google glasses if you go back and find them they still work and they actually look like glasses they just freaked people out because people weren't ready to be monitored all the time right so sadly we are out of time for this episode but we will have a very special guest host next week as Dave goes and takes his shoes off and puts them into the sand, I think.
0: Actually taking a vacation. So. I know. a what? novel idea.
1: <laughs> All righty. So Take it next week off. You man? guys
0: have fun without me, and I will listen from afar.
1: Very good. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors that you listen to episode 153 of the Killing it,
0: Killin Killin it podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.